This week on the podcast, I'm bringing you Katie Spada, who is one of the most talented registered dietitians who works primarily on nutrition after sport. I know what you're thinking. Well, my athlete is currently playing, so this isn't my cup of tea yet. And I'm going to stop you right there and tell you this is the conversation you didn't know you needed to hear, but are going to be so thankful you did. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete, and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes, and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. In this interview, Katie and I share some of the experiences we had growing up that had to do with bad relationships with food, body image, and even shame around consuming certain foods, and how we both are working on loving the body we've been blessed with and learning how certain foods make us feel so that we can consume them and still perform at our best. The conversations are the exact ones I needed growing up and never even knew until I sat down with Katie. She shares us tips on how we can share all the benefits of food, not just the quote unquote healthy stuff with our athletes and how we can recognize what our body needs and how what we put into it will help us perform at the highest level. We talk about carbs and how important they are to consume as athletes and adults and how we can prime our gut to know exactly what our bodies need before, during, and after big tournaments or games, or like us adults, our big meetings, or a podcast interview. It's time we build more knowledge around food and understand that it's okay to love all kinds of it. Like I said, this is the conversation you never knew you needed in your life until now. Katie's insight today changed the game for me and how I'm going to be sharing this with tons of people I care about because of how much knowledge I just gained. All right, let's jump into the conversation with Katie. Hey guys, welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Burkhart, and I have a pretty freaking awesome guest today. We just met our good friend, Chris Vasami, who we're both very close with, kind of just had an interview on Instagram, and I was like, I need this girl on the podcast. Katie Spada, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're about to go deep into nutrition after sport, which is interesting because not many people are in this realm. Not many people I've seen talk about this type of stuff. And I know most athletes and parents that are listening are going to be like, well, my kid's in the sport, so should I be listening to this? Yes, because a lot of parents out there, you've played sports before and intuitive eating and identity around food and people shame themselves around food. I think this is a conversation that has to be had, especially on when the cleats come off. So I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to chat about this topic. It's something I'm super passionate about, which I'm sure you guys will be able to tell through through my enthusiasm in this conversation, but I'm really excited. 
Yeah, I was listening to that interview with you and Chris. I'm just like, she is my girl. Like, these are things that I learned much later on in my career that I would have just loved to have learned prior. And you taught me things about myself in that conversation, crazy enough, that I'm like, I still am learning. And and that's what I love about this. Like, I'm going to learn a ton from this conversation, and anybody listening is going to, too. So this is going to be fun. Yeah. Plugged Chris Vasami there. He better be talking the crap out of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. By the way, he he has been on the podcast before. So those of you who are like, who the heck is Chris Vasami? Go back, listen to our conversation. It's a good one. But Katie, can you do me a favor and all of us a favor and share with us your incredible story of when you started competing in your sport? to where you are now and why you decided to talk about and become an RD that focuses on nutrition after sport. Yeah, so I was always an active kid. I was in every single sport imaginable, but swimming was just really where I thrived. And by the age of like nine, I was already through the lifeguard training and everything. And they were like, we have nothing else to offer her. <laughs> and so I saw synchronized swimming on TV, I believe it was in the 2000 Olympics. And then when we moved out here to Las Vegas, my mom saw an ad for a local synchro team. And I was like, I've got to try it. So I went to their open tryout and 11 years later, I had an 11 year synchro career and it had its ups and downs, which is part of the reason why I entered this niche specifically talking about nutrition Mm -hmm. after sport. But it it was a wonderful career and a tumultuous career at the same time. I battled my body, I battled my body image, I battled food. I look back and I have that question of, well, what if, what if I had fueled myself well? What if I had actually appreciated and respected my body? How much better could I have been? And those feelings came with me, you know, all the way into life after sport. And I still battled body image and food. And once I figured out what it really looks like to care for your body and enjoy food and nourish it well, I was like, everyone needs to know about this. And being a former athlete, there are specific kind of challenges, if you will, that we face that I don't think the general population faces. And being a former athlete, having competed at that high level, knowing what it takes to get there and the drastic drop that happens when you retire, I was like, I wanna help former athletes walk through this transition so that they can eat well, fuel their bodies and feel good in their skin. So that's kind of how I ended up in the former athlete space and kind of a little bit about my journey. Yeah, it's a beautiful one. So I'm going to be completely honest here and tell you synchronized swimming is something I know zero about, but I do know it's an aesthetic sport. And how would you describe an aesthetic sport specifically? So an aesthetic sport is one that puts a lot of emphasis on appearance. So for synchronized swimming, we're in a bathing suit. They want us to have long lines, long, clean lines. Often that comes in the form of someone who is taller, very thin. That's kind of the body ideal. Same thing, say, with like gymnastics or dance or ice skating, where your body is really what's being judged. You're not making points or scoring goals or anything like that. Your body is being judged. And there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way to fit whatever mold that sport is kind of highlighting as the most desirable appearance. That's how Mm -hmm. I would explain an aesthetic sport. Yeah, you explained it a million times better than I ever could. But I wanted the audience to kind of understand that because softball itself, it's not really an aesthetic sport, but because we're getting more TV time, people are putting on more makeup and like it starts to seem like that. And I know, I mean, I I listen to Victoria Garrick. She talks about body image a ton. She's a volleyball player from, I think, USC. And, you know, she, I mean, that's not really an aesthetic sport, but in a way... It's a sport where you're getting judged by, you know, you know, volleyball, you're wearing tight shorts and like people see it and people probably talk about it. So, and I think it's important that especially, you know, to have this conversation because again, softball, it's not really aesthetic, but it is one where I've even struggled with a little bit of identity crisis in regards to my body image and what I should be eating and things like that, because I went to college and gained 16 pounds in the first semester. Like that was just... And I mean, was a lot of it muscle? Yes. But I was that high school athlete before my junior year when I started lifting and learning how to run and things like that. I had a six pack and had never done a crunch when I was little. And like, I was lucky with those jeans, 
But then when I started gaining tons of weight, I kind of dealt with this. I don't look the same. My parents are talking like they're like, you got big and they probably weren't saying the things that they should have said because then I was like (laughs) overthinking. You talked about some struggles in college um, with this that kind of led you to this profession. What did you have to deal with? Yeah. So first, before I dive into that, I just want to comment that you're absolutely right. Even if a sport is not necessarily considered an aesthetic sport, I think there is a piece of aesthetics to every sport. And it ties right into what you were saying about, you know, I don't look the same. And it's that look like an athlete sort of thing. And well, what does an athlete look like? And that's one of the stereotypes I'm trying to break and show how all athlete bodies can be powerful, strong and perform well. And so I just wanted to to shoot that in there real quick. But so I was a more muscular individual and that's just my build. I'm a little shorter, a little bit more muscular. People would joke and say like, oh, you should have been a gymnast. And again, it's stereotyping the type of bodies that do well in sports. But so I was always on the team. I was always the one on the team that needed to do extra cardio, was not allowed to eat carbs, you know, had comments like you don't look very fit. Even if I was scoring well, these things were being said. Bless my parents. They did the best they could with trying to help me navigate that. But same thing. It would be like, oh, are you sure you want to eat that? Whether it was from a coach or a teammate or And so I started to create this really unhealthy relationship around food and fear of food. And instead of using food to fuel me, I was trying to minimize food as much as possible. And I think, you know, in what you were saying, there were so many, so many nuggets of things I would want to touch on. First is, you know, when you do go to college, we have multiple things at play here. One, we're going from teenager to adult. And so our bodies are just going to naturally change, which is not really socially acceptable in, in a society. Apparently we need to stay our 16 year old selves all the way up till 60. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And now your training has changed significantly. And so you are going to put on muscle. Your body is going to change to that training. And oftentimes athletes don't know how to fuel for that. And so they start to create these compensatory behaviors. If they're uncomfortable, like you said, you always had a six pack. Well, now you're training differently and your body's changing. And, you know, just from the science standpoint, it's not necessarily healthy for a female to have a six pack because it indicates that we don't have enough body fat to support our hormones. Facts. Yes. I I (laughs) ate four cheeseburgers a week though. Like I, I I would, I just want to like throw that out there. I had a six pack, but I ate tons of food. Like when I just had this crazy metabolism when I was little and I feel like it just broke. (laughs) And that's what a lot of people think is they think, okay, well now my metabolism broke. And like you said, you were eating four cheeseburgers a week and had this six pack, you know, without really ever needing to do a crunch. That is just genetics, age, all of those things. And then you reach that point where, okay, now we're going from teenager to adult. We're lifting differently. We're training differently. We're sleeping differently. We're under stress. We're eating differently all these things kind of impact our body change. And that can start to impact an athlete's ability to say, who am I? Okay. So I'm, I'm this athlete, but now I don't look like the athlete I thought I was. How do I get back to that? And the same thing happens when we transition out of sport, by the time you reach your senior year of college, you're like, okay, maybe I've got it figured out. And now we're slammed again with a whole new change. And I really wanted to help ease that transition for the former athlete, make it easier to retire. Wow. This is like the work that you're doing is incredible. I was blessed to play an an extra two years of softball after my collegiate career. It's so funny. I remember visiting one of my pitchers in college and it was just like three years after we played and we both looked different. Like Mm -hmm. it's just what happens, right? We're not training six hours a day. We have more, probably more body fat than we had in college because after, I just want to throw this out there after my freshman year, um, I ended up getting mono and then lost 16 pounds of fat and muscle. So then I was like, I need to like figure out my diet regimen. Like what am I eating? Because I will say this, my freshman year, I was like stuffing French fries in between my plates, like in the dining hall. (laughs) When I ate, it was like, this is the last time I'm going to eat for a while. I'm starving. And I just went hard. So then after I had mono and I lost all the weight, I was just like, okay, now's the time to like take care of my body. So I want to just throw that out there too. So I was at my peak performance my senior year and I feel like it's because I was fueling my body with better things and taking care of my sleep and my health. So I ended up getting really good at it. 
And then three years after that, I'm visiting my teammate and like we both looked very different than when we were in college. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first thing we said to each other. Wow, like we look so different because I mean, girls, we're changing and we always see each other, especially as teammates. Yes. Why do we look so different? And it makes sense. Like all the things that you're describing, it's like, it's just what happens. Yeah. After you play. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And I I think it's more drastic for the athlete because again, our body was able to serve us and it looked a certain way. Whereas, you know, other people who maybe not, who may not be involved in athletics, their body always changes, but it's not so drastic. And I think that's the piece that's most challenging for athletes to kind of navigate is it can be this drastic change, not always. And to be honest, I think sometimes we see it as a bigger change than it is because we are so good at feeling our body. Like, I don't know about you, but in synchro, I had to be aware of every single piece of my body. Actually, I do know both my dad and brother played college baseball. So when you're up to bat, like you have to be aware of every position, your feet, your knees, your hands, where your hands are, your shoulders set, all of these things when you go to swing a bat and you're hyper aware of how your body feels. And so then when we transition and now these, our body starts to change, we're hyper aware of even the smallest change that may not be noticeable to the lay person, but we can tell. Yeah, absolutely. When I didn't have to think or care about what other people were thinking, that's when I was at my best. And I feel like when it comes to body image, a lot of people, they lack potential simply just because they're too worried about what other people are thinking or saying or whatever to where their performance is not going to be anywhere near what it could be. Yes. Yes. Thinking those things. I completely agree. I think we do kind of fall prey to those expectations of, you know, well, how do they think I should look and then try and match that expectation, even if it's not what we're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to unpack your story a little bit because there were some key things that I was like, what you were being told that you can't eat carbs. Yeah. I mean, we discussed this on when I interviewed my cousin Katie Hake on the on the podcast about mm-hmm. how carbs are literally your body's favorite source of energy, I believe. Yes. So now that you know this, can you share with us like when you made that revelation of I was not eating carbs and now I am and now realizing they were important. What was that like? Oh my gosh, it was life changing. I think I lived like a decade of my life in just a perpetual state of hanger because I wasn't eating enough carbs. And I apologize to my family for putting up with me for (laughs) all of those years. But yeah, it was not by any malicious intent, but my coaches, they just were trying to help me and they thought, well, hey, I cut carbs and I lose weight. So like you shouldn't eat carbs either. And so we, I remember distinctly when I was on the national team, we had a team dinner and one of the local moms cooked a meal for us. And so it was pasta with broccoli, chicken sauce. And my coach said to me, there's pasta here, but you can't eat any of it. Like just get some chicken and broccoli. Yeah. And so like they would monitor our plates. This was at the national team level. So this was different than my college experience, but still that kind of set me up and primed me for the experiences I had in college. And looking back, you know, I I used to be really bitter about it, but now I'm like, they didn't know. Um, But that was the problem was I was getting nutrition advice from my coaches who were not trained. And even though I had access to sports dietitians, their words were not as powerful as my coaches because my coach was the one deciding whether or not I swam. Yeah. And so of course I wanted to appease them. And even if the sports dietitian was like, make sure you eat carbs. My first thought is, is she crazy? I can't eat carbs. My coach says I can't eat carbs. So there was this big disconnect, but yeah, looking back, I'm like, wow, I I endured that. Yeah, I did. So when you weren't eating carbs, you said you were in like a hanger mode, but how is your energy? Like, how are you able to perform at all? Like, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I was the queen of masking with caffeine. Mm. It was, you know, five cups of black coffee a day, extra shots of espresso, and it was fake energy and I didn't recover well. And this is where I question, you know, how much better could I have been because I I succeeded, but what was my potential if I would have actually fueled myself well? And yeah, it it was not anything I would recommend for anyone, you know, but it was basically just putting a bandaid on the fact that I didn't have energy. So caffeine, that was the solution. Wow. So what do you now tell your athletes carb wise or your former athletes? Do you have like preferred carbs that you have them take or is it just 
kind of just whatever you want? So good question. So that kind of actually pulls us into the intuitive eating piece. It is a lot of, well, I want to say this on social media. If you start to hashtag intuitive eating, you're going to see a lot of eat whatever you want when you want. And Mm. at a very watered down level, sure, because I do encourage unconditional permission to eat all foods. If they are training for a marathon or a half marathon, which I think a lot of athletes retire and they move into something like bodybuilding or marathon training or triathlons or or something like that, we're going to talk about when do you need simple carbs? When is the white bread good? Because white bread can be good. What about the gummy candies? What about, you know, things like cereal? How can those fuel your body well? Whereas, you know, when you're recovering, okay, now let's talk about like carbs and vegetables and fruits and times to get our micronutrients in. So it's a lot of understanding the nutrition and how food can work for us. Food should work for us. It shouldn't be working against us. Yeah, really, really good point. So let's kind of dive more into intuitive eating. I love how yeah. you do every single Sunday, you like make a dessert and like share it. <laughs> is, is dessert like your favorite? I mean, I really don't want to say, so people talk about cheat meals a lot and I am like, what yeah. the heck is a cheat meal? Like when I go you know, to a bar and I want to have a beer and a burger, like I should be able to have that because yes. I love that feeling. Yes. I'm sorry, any athletes that are hanging out here and know I drink beer. I'm 28. I can do this. Um, (laughs) Same. (laughs) But like, I shouldn't have to ask myself permission to do that. Right. So like, how do you go about this? So the two key things to start is, like I said, the unconditional permission. So there are no justifications for eating. If you want to have a beer and a, you know, a beer and a burger, you can just have a beer and a burger. There doesn't need to be a, well, I earned this because I worked out today or I did this or I haven't had one in a long time or YOLO, like I'm just going to have it. It should be like, okay, well, that sounds good. That's what I want to have. And then how can we optimize that meal? The second is, which goes along with the unconditional permission, removing the labels from food, not the actual food label, but good (laughs) or bad, you know, taking away like, is food good? Is food bad? And recognizing at the, at the molecular level, all food and drinks will provide our body with energy. And it's just a matter of like, when, when should I be eating these things? How is it going to make me feel? And so, like you said, I I don't like cheat meals. Cheating indicates something bad. Like you are doing something wrong and eating food is never a wrong thing to do. So laying that foundation and understanding there are no good or bad foods and you can eat a burger whenever you want. It helps to take away the, any feelings of guilt. And so, yeah, I'm thinking, did I go around your question or did I answer it? You did. You answered the second part of my two-part question, apparently, that I threw at you. But like (laughs) your desserts that you post on Sunday, the one that you just posted looked so good. But like, why do you post about that? I feel like there's like a reason. There is a reason. And so Ashley's referring to my sweet treat Sunday where I post a different sweet treat every Sunday. And the reason I do that is because I want to normalize having these foods is just part of our day-to-day eats. Instead of like, I have to save cupcakes for a special occasion. I think I made cupcakes this weekend, or I can only have cheesecake on certain, you know, special days. Well, that's when we get to the point of overeating or binge eating on these things. If you only allow yourself to have cake on your birthday, how many slices of cake are you going to have? Potentially quite a few, right? Right. Because it's that all or nothing. Exactly. It's your excuse. And so I just want to normalize saying like, hey, you can have a cupcake with your dinner if you want. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's food. It can still fuel you. How are you optimizing the rest of your meal. Are you having proteins, carbs, fats, and fiber? So that's kind of the reason I do that is I really want to normalize eating those foods without needing to justify or have a special occasion. I like how you talked about how everything that you consume will provide some sort of energy for you. Yes. In Katie's episode, we went or Katie Hake's episode. This is confusing because you're both Katie. (laughs) But we talked about how, you know, carbs, like the reason why runners will carbo load or carb load, right? before they have a big race is because they got to sustain for a long period of time. Yes. And like the purpose of proteins and all this different stuff. But I really just like how if you just start thinking about what types of foods are impacting you and what you are looking to do. Yeah. It can actually make eating a lot simpler. Yes. I don't know if that made any sense at all. Yes. But 
I mean, I knew I was going to interview you tonight and I was thinking, well, one, I love how salads make me feel. So I'm going to eat a salad for lunch because it just sounds right. I didn't eat a salad because I was interviewing it. I just love salad and yeah. I love the way it makes me feel. And I want to be at my peak performance yes. for this interview. So how, I guess, would you tell somebody to like, let's say they have like a big weekend and a bunch of games coming up. Yeah. How could they fuel themselves through that weekend to be able to sustain energy or like what's like an easy way that they can find their peak performance based on what they eat Yeah, and be okay eating a cupcake after a tournament? Like how would you go about telling, you know, a youth athlete or even the parents that are providing the food, what's probably the best way to go about how you eat? Yeah. Great question. So you never, the first thing is you never want to try new things in the middle of a tournament or, you know, competition or anything like that. So sticking with what you know is going to be your best bet. But then recognizing as you lead up to it, let's say you're going into a doubleheader and you know you're not going to have a lot of time in between games. So you want to make sure that a couple hours before your game, you are having a very hearty meal that is going to be able to last you and provide you with enough energy. The other thing is intra-workout fuel. We don't utilize that enough. So utilizing Gatorade and Powerade and, you know, those sports drinks, not the zero ones, not the G2 or anything like that, because your body needs that quick energy. So utilizing those as you go through the tournament until you are able to refuel after your tournament and then recognizing that all a cupcake is, is carbs, simply Mm -hmm. what a cupcake is when it breaks down, you know, whether you're eating, you know, brown rice or you're eating a cupcake at the at the molecular level it'll break down to glucose and it'll fuel your cells. So taking that approach so that, you know, your athlete, or if you are the athlete, you know, you don't feel like deprived of those cupcakes. I remember post meat, we would plan these big feasts. Cause like I said earlier, we weren't allowed me and some others, we weren't allowed to eat anything while we were training and competing. And so it was post that competition, we would just go all out. And that just resulted in us not feeling very good. But so I would take a look at one, the schedule, Do you have time to fuel properly in between games? If not, how can you maximize your fueling pre, during, and after? Make sure you're recovering well. I know when my brother was traveling for baseball, it was double, triple headers, back-to-back days. They were just cramming as many games in as they could, and then he would just crash at the end of the weekend. So fueling throughout that can help minimize that crash so you can recover faster. Mm -hmm. Ooh, good point. I like that a lot. Katie is blowing my mind with her knowledge, but I wanted to take a minute to give you a special gift as a thank you for being a listener of When the Cleats Come Off. Have you ever had a big day ahead and wanted to wear clothes that made you feel incredible so you can set yourself up for success that day? I'm exactly the same way when I wear my favorite pair of leggings with a shirt that's incredibly comfy and sometimes an empowering quote on it. I can't help but love how it makes me feel and perform whether I'm putting on a clinic or even working with an athlete in a lesson. Well, if your athlete and maybe even you want to feel empowered by the clothes you wear the next time you're off to the field, I've got you covered. I'm offering my listeners 15% off on their first order from any of the ABT collections. Whether you choose to rock the new ABT swing sweatshirt or one of the new opportunity long sleeves that I'm currently wearing, I can almost guarantee you're going to look and feel like a million bucks, aka that's what I feel like right now. Head to www.ashleybtraining.com to find the link to the store or just head to the link in the show notes and grab a discount on your first order. All you need to do is type in the code CLEATS, that's C-L-E-A-T-S at checkout to get 15% off on your very first order. That's promo code CLEATS, C-L-E-A-T-S at checkout. All right, let's head back to the interview with Katie. So a lot of people love, and we talked about this a little bit in Katie's episode, but I really want to talk about it here because fast food is a part of what we have to deal with as traveling sports. So softball is crazy. We'll play, you know, eight games, sometimes a day. I don't know if people still do that, but I remember I had to do that. Wow. And it was like, oh yeah, it was, it was fun. We had like minimal breaks and like snacks occasionally, but yeah, it's crazy. But we would, you know, shove a bunch of games in in a weekend and, you know, 
what's dad grabbing between games? Sometimes it's Subway. Sometimes it's, you know, McDonald's or we're getting carry out at B-dubs. And like, it's really hard, I think, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, what types of foods are going to make you feel a certain way. And I can attest that like fried food is a no-go on a hot summer day in the middle oh, of yeah. the weekend. Do not give me fried food. No. I if, if you mention McDonald's, I might throw up. But now they have options of like, you know, they have grilled chicken and stuff. But yeah, there's like, do you have any fast food recommendations for those families that are like, we don't have a choice. We're, we're gone all weekend. Maybe we have a cooler of stuff, but fast food options. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're looking at fast food options, look at the most, not necessarily plain, but almost the most plain option. Because what we do know is that fat is the hardest on our body to digest. It's probably why you're like, oh, I don't feel good. When it's hot out, you're exerting energy. Your body's not prioritizing energy to digest the food you just ate from B-dubs or McDonald's or anything like that. Mm. So it's just sitting there making you feel uncomfortable, impacting your ability to play. This is where things like, you know, since they do have grilled chicken options, awesome. Utilize that if that's what feels good or sticking with something light, like, you know, honestly, fries can be a great option because they're carbs, they're minimally fried compared to like a fried chicken or greasy burger or something like that. And so if you can pair that with some grilled chicken, you know, you're good to go. You're ready to rock and roll. Like I said, trying new things. So if you know that you're going to McDonald's, what is a good go-to at McDonald's? Their breakfast is actually pretty good. You know, you could get Mm -hmm. yourself a bagel or not a bagel, um, pancakes or a sausage McMuffin or something like that. Maybe not do the sausage if it's going to sit heavy on you, (laughs) but there are ways that you can find things that are going to feel good for you. Kids options oftentimes have like apple slices now or they do have a salad. But again, you have to be careful with the roughage because it could potentially cause GI distress. So I always like to take a look at wherever I'm going and see what are the options around and what's going to be the best. Is it Subway? Is it like a sub sandwich shop? Is it, you know, a fast food restaurant? What's going to be best? Yeah, that's good. I also really liked how you were saying stick with what works. I mean, because like, I mean, I shared this on a while ago, but what my, what worked for me was on my way to a tournament, I'd get two of those breakfast burritos from McDonald's and get an orange juice and the hash brown. And like I, every single week, it just worked for us, yes. for me specifically. So if McDonald's is an option, that's what I was going to get. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key. It's like maybe one day try to analyze a performance where maybe you crushed it or your kid crushed it that day. And you're like, what did you eat for breakfast? Yeah. Oh, this is what I got from McDonald's. I mean, there's a go-to because it didn't make you feel slow. It didn't make you feel sluggish. You had energy throughout the day and it was a great day. So I think the, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Like if you've probably had one good performance before, (laughs) not many. (laughs) And if you can kind of just like look back and think about it, like, what did you have? And you can kind of reuse it, recycle it. Exactly. Yes. Never, never changing things. And that that's what can be challenging is if you don't have something around you that you're familiar with, you know, sticking with as closely as you can. But something we do in the nutrition field is we talk about gut priming. And that is where you train your gut basically while you train for your sport to be able to handle foods before practices. So you can have energy um, and then preseason or before you you know, start to enter your competition season, that can be a great opportunity to try out things without it, you know, causing a lot of um, problems during your competition. So I would say, if you know that you're going to be traveling a lot for a season, start to gut prime, try out, how do I feel if all I have available is McDonald's? How do I feel if all I have available is Chick-fil-A or whatever it might be? You can start to gut prime. So when you're in that situation, in that scenario, you already know what your go-to is. Mm, so good. That's that. I just took notes. And if anybody's listening with a notepad nearby, like pause it, write this down because that's gotta be huge. Because I remember, you know, hotel breakfast in college were not that great for the most part. Some of them are really nice now, but oatmeal was like my go-to because I knew that's, that was what I needed to be able to perform. And I had oatmeal and and always eggs as my protein as well. But like I would put fruit on top and That was when I started, you know, doing research and realizing what my body needs to perform. But that was like the ideal gut prepping or priming because I knew that worked for me. Yes. And 
one, and I learned that before season. So in season, I was like, oh, it's an easy decision. I'm going to have oatmeal. Yeah. It's just what it is. And I still do that to this day, actually, (laughs) (laughs) because it it works. And then one day it might not work. And then I'll just find something else. Yeah. I think that was, you know, probably what people needed to hear. Because I think a lot of people think of fueling and as as like good and bad instead of just like, no, just kind of know yourself. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think hopefully that relieves some of the stress too, because you can find options that are going to fuel yourself well, even if all you have is fast food. I like to say, if anyone's seen the the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where he's like, give me a word, any word, and I can tell you it's Greek root. Why well, say like, give me a food, any food, and I can tell you how it's going to nourish your body, how it's going to fuel your mm. body. You can find things at any place that will nourish your body. You do just need to know what works best for you. Oh my gosh. Can we play a game? Can I throw foods at you and you tell me sure. how it's going to fuel my body? Oh, do it. This was not expected. This is going to be just spontaneous. This is going to be fun. All right. An apple. What's that going to do? Okay. So it's carbs. It's also fiber. And the fiber is a prebiotic, which means it's going to help with your gut flora. So there are your two Mm. things for apples. Cool. Carrots. Carrots are vitamin A. You want to make sure you eat it with something fat though, in order to absorb the vitamin A, because vitamin A is a fat soluble vitamin. So if you just eat a lot of carrots, but you don't eat anything with fat, like either ranch dressing or yogurt or something like that, you're not going to get hummus? the benefit. Does hummus count? Hummus counts. Ooh. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is so much fun. I might <laughs> just do this the rest of the interview. Um, a whole grain bagel with cream cheese. Ooh. Okay. So the cream cheese is going to be a little bit of protein, mostly fat, which is also going to help keep you fuller for longer. The whole grain, if it's truly whole grain, again, it's going to have fiber. That's the difference between uh, like white flours and whole grain fiber for fullness, for gut microbiome. And then yes, it's carbs. So it's going to be quick energy for your body. Mm. Cool. This is so fun. <laughs> I almost said a smoothie, but you could literally put anything in a smoothie. So I don't know if I want to throw that one out there. Smoothies are great because they're fluid. Then you can put your own protein and carbs in there for either pre or post uh, fueling, depending on the ratio of carbs to protein. You make smoothies for yourself. I, I think I, I stalk you on Instagram, clearly. Um, <laughs> but like, what's your favorite smoothie that you like to make? Oh my gosh, peanut butter banana, hands down. And I love to do mm. it with a whole frozen banana. That is the trick to getting it nice and thick and cold. Whole frozen banana with a couple scoops of peanut butter, a couple scoops. I don't, I don't measure at all. I just kind of throw it in there. A couple scoops of Greek yogurt. And then I sometimes do protein powder, sometimes not with coconut milk. The coconut milk is a preference because regular milk makes my stomach feel a little funky. So you can use it with regular milk, blend it up. And it's the simplest, but the most delicious. It's my go-to all the time. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think one time I like did something that I found on, you know, TikTok and I made like a it was like, it was a whole frozen banana and peanut butter. And it was like an ice cream. Almost. Yes. Yeah. That's what, what it tasted like. So I could see why you like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's literally the consistency of like, like a milkshake. Like I feel like I'm drinking a milkshake. It's fantastic. Oh, I love that. Okay. I have a couple more foods I want to know. Let's do it. Pizza. Okay. Let's, pizza. let's do like a, a Supreme pizza. Supreme pizza. Like all the things. Is literally like a nutrition dream because the bread is your carbs for energy. The cheese is going to be your fat for fullness, absorption, hormones. If any of their female athletes here, we need that for hormones. If you're going to get lots of veggies, you're going to get fiber from the veggies. If you get a meat on it, you've got your protein. Tomato sauce is going to be high in potassium, which is good for muscle contraction, which athletes want and fluid status. I told you pizza is just like a, a winner, winner pizza dinner. Yeah, it, it totally <laughs> is. Too bad I already ate dinner. I'd probably get pizza right now. <laughs> Okay. I have like an obsession with popcorn. I love popcorn. It's probably the most simple thing that you can, you know, tell me what it does for my body, but it's my favorite snack in the whole world with butter, please. Oh, okay. Yes, of course. Because the butter again is fat. We don't need to fear fat. That's important. But popcorn is one of the best snacks because it is fiber filled. I keep talking about fiber, but fiber is really your best friend. And it's one of those volume foods. Like you can eat a lot of it. And so it makes you feel full. If you're just trying to satisfy the like, you know, hand to mouth motion. I love popcorn for that. Um, but yeah, popcorn's great. And it's a carb too. So, you know, those long road trips where you're like, I just need to like stay awake and just eat something. Yes. Like popcorn's my go-to because 
I don't want to say I feel guilty if I just eat Twizzlers for an hour, but like I feel a lot better when I have popcorn instead of Twizzlers. Well, yeah, it, yes, because the the Twizzlers are going to be a concentration of sugar and that can sometimes make us feel a little sick to our stomach where with the fiber in the popcorn, it's going to control your blood sugars better. That's one of the reasons why sugar makes us feel concentrated sugar makes us feel so meh because it spikes your blood sugar and then it drops you. If you're having it with something else, protein, fat, fiber, it's going to keep you feeling better for longer. Yeah. If you were an athlete, what would be now? I mean, cause I'm sure there's a lot of things you like, like you said, would do different in college. Oh yeah. If you were an athlete, what would be like the three top snacks that if you're going to class or just, you know, on a road trip and you just need three snacks, what would be like your go-to three? Okay. So definitely trail mix. That would be one beef jerky for quick protein. That would be two. And then probably the, uh, the single carry peanut butter packets. That would be three. Mm, good one. <laughs> what trail mix do you like? Cause there's like millions of flavors now. So I love putting in, I like to make my own and I like to do either like cashews or walnuts or peanuts. Um, and then a dried fruit, usually craisins. I have craisins in the house and then chocolate chips. Mm, I used to travel a lot on planes and here we are in the middle of COVID. No more flying very much. I know. And I would make my own trail mix too. And I, it's so funny because like all of those things would be in my trail mix. Yes. It's just <laughs> the best. Sometimes I'll throw pretzels in there if I need a little bit more carb and the fruit is just not going to cut it. So yeah. And that's something that you can customize to your own tastes, which is awesome. Mm, good. All right. Last thing. What's a cupcake going to do for my body? Okay. Cupcakes are one, they're carbs. We know that they're quick energy, depending on if you're putting frosting on it or not. Oftentimes our frostings are based on like butter and cream. And so we've got some fat there as well. And then we can't neglect the fact that food also provides us with satisfaction. And that's a really big piece to feeling good about your meals. And so if you have been craving this cupcake all day, but you decide to just have chicken, rice, and broccoli, you're going to still be craving that cupcake. And instead of having just one, you're going to have multiple. And so including that in your meal is going to be really beneficial. Ooh, I love that. Okay. So that kind of leads us a little more into the intuitive eating aspect, which I really love. So you talked about how food or a cupcake can help us with like feeling happy, which I feel like is a thing. It is. Can you kind of talk about intuitive eating in a way to where I think I know a lot of us, well, maybe it's just post athletes. Maybe it's parents out there that are listening sometimes we'll find shame in, you know, eating this massive piece of cheesecake and saying, oh, I should probably eat half and then eat the whole thing. I feel like you probably have a really good way of, you know, approaching that in in a way to where you can eat it and not like binge it, you know? Yeah. How, How would you kind of like go about a conversation there? So it circles back to that unconditional permission, actually, because one of the reasons we feel like we need to eat the whole cheesecake or eat multiple cupcakes is because mentally we're thinking we can never have it again. And so allowing yourself that unconditional permission means that that food is going to be available whenever you want it. I say this to clients. And when I first heard this myself, I thought no way, but you can buy a pint of ice cream, actually a pint, and it can last you for a long time. I have a pint of ice cream in there and I just forgot about it till this conversation. And the reason is because I know it's available to me at any time. And so it's not some specialty thing that I can only get at a certain time. And so I think taking that approach can be really beneficial. And then the other thing is that you never have to feel guilty for eating food. And I think we just associate like, oh, if I'm eating this food or that food, I'm being bad because that food's not good for us. As we just demonstrated, all food can nourish your body. And so that's one of the biggest pieces is remembering that that food can nourish your body. So eliminating that last supper mentality is really helpful to no longer binging or overeating foods. You mentioned the emotion piece as well. And I think Mm -hmm. we can't negate the fact that food is emotional. By nature, it creates emotions. Like you do have, you know, an emotional release when you eat food. 90% of our serotonin is created in our gut and you need carbs to create serotonin, which is your happy hormone. And so by nature, food will make us happy. It's not that we should not emotionally eat. It's that emotional eating should not be the only tool in our toolbox. So recognizing food can provide you with comfort, but is that the comfort you are in need of right now? Mm, that is I like that a lot. kind of the biggest. I like that a lot. Yeah. Wow. So I'm just, this is a totally selfish question. So you and I, our 
performances are no longer on the field. But I feel like our approach to things are probably very similar to where when we were athletes. Yes. So when you have, what's like a big day for you? Is it a podcast interview? Is it client calls all night? Like what is a big day for you? And I want to know how do you fuel yourself throughout the day and why? I want to just pick your brain right now. Let's do it. So Tuesday, Wednesdays are my busiest days. I still work full-time in a hospital while I'm growing my business. So I'm at work 6.30 to 3. I have my coffee and I, I make my coffee work for me. I put some creamer in it. I put some collagen, which is preference. So I've got some carbs and some fat already in my coffee. Then I have rounds every morning at nine with the medical team and they could go up to two hours. So I make sure that I have something to eat. I usually have my breakfast between like eight, eight thirty, so that it carries me through those rounds so that I'm not getting tired. I'm not losing energy. Then I have my normal, like a game, like a game. I literally prep for a game on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I love this so much. What do you, so is that your breakfast when you put the collagen and stuff in your coffee or no, what are you eating? That's Mostly, like pre-breakfast. Like, okay. Just yeah, that's sure. my that's my primer because I get up at 4.30. And so eating in the morning just doesn't feel great <laughs> to me. Yeah. So I sip on that. And then my breakfast is usually I make a banana bread that I love. And I pair it with some peanut butter and some Greek yogurt for extra fat and protein. Yep. Awesome. You are my girl. (laughs) The only people on YouTube that are going to watch this later are going to like look at my facial expressions. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't tell you how many times I make banana bread just so I can have it first thing in the morning with peanut butter or yogurt. Like, who are we? It's it's (laughs) arguably the best ever. And if someone's like, what? I'm like, oh, and it keeps me full for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Then I have my, my lunch which is usually like, I love microwave chicken strips, to be honest with you. Like I will just microwave some chicken strips, have some sort of veggie, usually a fruit, maybe some crackers for some extra carbs. That's kind of my, my lunch. Then when I get home, I usually go right into client calls. I get home about around three 30 and I'm in client calls from like four till eight, eight 30. So I actually have my dinner before my client calls. Because my, yeah, so I eat my dinner early, but to keep me fueled going into those calls. And then if I have time in between calls, maybe I'll go down and have a snack, but I usually have a snack after client calls before I go to bed. Um, So that's kind of how I, how I work That makes total sense. So the biggest thing that I just learned is that when you have big bouts of things that you have to do, you are fueling beforehand. Yes. Because you know that what you're eating is going to have to fuel you for those client calls. Yep. So, and you're, and you're fueling yourself with things that you know are going to provide energy. So you talked about fiber, you talked about everything as carbs and protein. Like when you're hitting those food groups, you kind of just already know, especially because you're so into intuitive eating and you know what these foods are doing for your body. Yes. But like you have no question that you're going to have energy at the very end of your night because you fueled yourself for that. Yeah. I think that's huge. That is huge. Thank you. And it, and it came with trial and error. I want to just put that out there too. You know, I would try having, you know, X, you know, maybe it was like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, for example, before I went into these client calls. And then I'm two hours into it and I'm like, I'm, I'm hungry. This isn't good. It's not working for me. So then I would learn, okay, I need to add something to that. What can I add to it until I found what works? And I think an important thing to remember is that, you know, we don't do we don't experience life the same way every day. And so our body does demand different things every day and being able to be flexible. Even if I have my, you know, breakfast, let's say I have my breakfast at my normal time, but now I'm hungry sooner than I normally am being okay with that because maybe I'm expending energy differently that day in a way that I'm unaware. That's the freedom and the flexibility that intuitive eating offers. Yeah. It's just, I think intuitive eating, the key word of it is just knowledge. Yes. Knowing how much energy you're putting out, and then trying to match that with what you're fueling yourself with. Yes. And it's literally an experiment every day. <laughs> every day. Yep. Like, we need to stop making it so cookie cutter. Like, yes. It needs to be this Like, don't talk to me about calorie counting. No. I've never calorie counted in my life. Good. Oh, and man. I mean, my cousin's a dietitian. I had really great registered dietitians in college that kind of like taught me, hey, when your body needs something, give it to it. Yes. (laughs) Like, and I got to the point where, you know, I was talking about salads earlier 
if I go a few days without like this, I make a great salad. I'm going to brag right now. I love the salads that I make. If I go a few days without it, my body feels that. Yes. It's like, hey, I need some of those greens right now to it's- stir. Like, and that's just my body telling me these things. But it took me knowing that to listen. Exactly. Exactly. Our bodies are so smart. We don't give them enough credit. They will tell you, it will tell you what it needs. If you just take the time to tune in and reflect after a meal, like, how do you feel? That's why I always say when when people go on vacation, if you ever come back and you're just like, I just want like a salad or veggies or something that is your body saying, Hey, okay, this is what I need. And your body can do that for you every single day. If you listen to it. Oh, listen, this is so good. Do you do food journals and stuff? I will. Often what I have clients do is I have them take pictures of their meals and send it to me via our app. So then I can actually see, okay, are they optimizing their meals? Are they feeling good with this portion size? Do we need to increase this or change this or do that? Because I like to be able to see it. And so I will also have them tell me like, how'd you feel after this meal? Did you eat the whole thing? Did you stop halfway? You know, how'd you feel? That's a really big piece of it as well. That's my problem. I think... It's probably just the culture I grew up with. If grandma puts this amount of food on my plate, I am pleasing her by eating every bite of it. And so I'm sure you have tons of athletes that are like similar. Yes. I struggle with leaving food on my plate. That's like something that I'm trying to figure out. So what would be your biggest tip for me right now? And I know I'm not the only one. (laughs) No, this is something I talk about with my clients all the time because we often feel guilty like we're being wasteful when we are leaving food on our plate. The thing that I always hear is like, well, there are people in this world that don't have food. Yes, that is true. But the other side of that is if you're putting food into your body that your body no longer needs, that's wasteful as well because your body doesn't need that energy. The food on your plate, whether you finish it or not, it's unfortunately not gonna make it to the people who don't have food. Why are you sacrificing your own health at the sake of needing to either please someone or, you know, not feel guilty about leaving food on your plate. You can always either save it or tell grandma, friend, family, whoever it is like, Hey, thanks. Like I'm really full right now. I'm going to save this for later. Or I'm not going to, you know, push myself because it comes down to respecting your body. We're trying to be Mm -hmm. respectful of other people, but we're disrespecting ourselves in the process. Yes. And that's the funny thing is because I grew up with that, I do it at home and when it's just me, yep. like I still do it. And I, and I didn't realize it until I think you shared it on Instagram once. And I was just like, wow, this is real. Like I put as much on my plate that I think I need. And then I just eat it all. And actually I didn't realize that, you know, with five bites left, I was probably pretty full. Yeah. And we, wow. we don't realize that there is a diminishing returns with food. So anybody who's out there loving into into economics or anything like that, there are diminishing returns with food. And we will reach this point where the food is enjoyable. It's serving us. It's awesome. And then, okay, now it's no longer serving us. It's not super awesome anymore. And we want to find that peak, just like our peak performance in sports. We want to find that peak performance where food is really serving us well. And then we don't need to continue eating it when it's no longer serving us. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, these are great points. The fun part about this conversation is that we really didn't, I mean, we did talk about performance a little bit, but it's (laughs) truly like who we are after sport is like, we can prime ourselves and get ourselves ready for that right now. Like those, those athletes right now that are performing, if they can understand these things sooner, I think that one, their performance is going to be better. Yes. And two, they're not going to have these identity crises after sport because they've kind of like figured these things out. They figured out that when you're expending a lot of energy, you're going to need more fuel. Yes. And then, you know, when you graduate, AKA us, we are not practicing six hours a day. Therefore we're probably not going to have to eat as much. Yeah. (laughs) And like knowing that I think is really crucial. So man, we could go so far into this, but there was one thing that I wanted to dive into probably because I was listening to Brene Brown earlier today and she talks about shame a lot, but why do we shame ourselves when we, you know, eat too much cheesecake or, I mean, I say we, I think it might be more of a female thing than a male thing, but I'm sure it happens with males too. Yeah. Why do we shame ourselves around food 
Is there like a specific reason? You know, all of this really comes back to those two points with the unconditional permission and the good labeling foods, good or bad. And society has created, and I say society because it is a, it is a global kind of issue, systemic issue where we have identified foods as good or bad. And we have also identified overeating as a bad thing. Overeating in and of itself is just a human thing. If a food tastes good, you want to keep eating it. You want to keep experiencing it. It's when we overeat consistently that we run into problems. And so what happens when we overeat specifically something like cheesecake? Well, let's say cheesecake's bad because it's, you know, a lot of sugar. It's unhealthy for us, all these things. And then now I overate. So now I'm bad for overeating a food that's bad because overeating is bad. And we double this shame on ourselves because we've just done two things. We've eaten a food that we probably shouldn't eat. And we've eaten to the point where we overate. And both of those are deemed as being, you know, unflattering or things that we should not do. When we remove that, when we realize the cheesecake is just food, just like an apple, just like carrots, whatever it might be. And we can eat to the point of satisfaction. We have taken away the guilt of eating a bad food because there are no bad foods and we've given ourselves the ability and the power to stop when we're full and no longer overeat Mm. but again overeating is not a bad thing per se it's consistently overeating that we need to Mm -hmm. be aware of so i think that's why we feel shame yeah and i think that how people also talk to us sometimes builds that shame like you said earlier a coach was saying do you want to eat that I've actually said this to people. And when someone told me like how that made them feel, I finally was like, I did not mean that at all. So those people that are saying, do you really want to eat that? Most of them don't even realize that's not what you should say. And and I want to bring this up because parents are on here and I'm sure they've probably said a thing or two that um, maybe they don't realize is not hitting their athlete the way it should. I think that just has to do with shame and that's not intentional shame. But like, what would you say to parents with food and how to talk about it, you know, if they're really concerned with their athletes eating? Yeah. I mean, if you're really concerned with your athletes eating, you know, if you do have access to a professional, of course, always seek their assistance. But when you're just chatting at home with your kids and your athletes, making sure that you are incorporating the fact that, you know, all these foods are fine foods are not good or bad. And when, when a child goes to make a food decision, instead of the instinct of like, are you sure you want to eat that? Is that the best choice for you? What you do when you question that is you could make them start to question their decisions. So now they start to second guess and kids always want to please their parents. So if they think I'm not going to be pleasing my parent for eating this, they probably won't. Now that could spiral, it could not into other things, disordered eating, eating disorders, that sort of a thing, or just feeling guilty anytime in the future they eat something. So I would encourage, you know, like, oh, hey, you're going to have a slice of cheesecake. Like, you know, is that going to make you feel good moving forward? Or even after they eat, any parents who are looking for some conversations on how to talk about food, Kids Eating Color is amazing. She's awesome. She has a master's of public health and she really talks about how parents and families and just the community needs to chat about food and the words that we use, but coming from a point of, you know, never questioning their ability to kind of make decisions. Kids are natural intuitive eaters. They have probably already been influenced by society though. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're choosing to have cheesecake, well, Hey, how about we have some protein with that? Like that might help to, you know, keep you feeling fuller for longer or Mm -hmm. with pizza well, how about we add a salad to it? Let's get some veggies going with it instead of- And here's why. Yes. Yeah. I th- yeah. Yeah. It comes with knowledge. This is like, it's all coming back to the same premise. It's just giving your athletes knowledge of, hey, a cheesecake right before a game, probably not as good as like cheesecake after the game. Right. Due to how it's going to slow you down. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the other thing too, is teaching how to use food for their benefit. Like, hey, how is food going to benefit you? You feel really good when you eat pretzels because of whatever, the salt and the carbs and all this. Awesome. So let's keep eating pretzels. Remember the last time you ate cheesecake? It didn't really make you feel very good. Okay, well, maybe let's not do that again. Let's try this and we can have cheesecake later. Always including them in the decision as well. Mm, That's so key. Mm -hmm. Anybody, can you just repeat what you just said? The very last thing that you just said. Always including your kids in the decision as well. That is I think important. That's 
that's a huge takeaway. Yeah. It's a team effort. Mom and dad, you're your athlete's teammate. Yes. Helping them make decisions, not shaming them for making the decisions that they do, especially around food. Yeah. It's going to help their health inside and outside the sport for sure. Wow. This was so much fun. This is, we could probably talk for like two more hours, but let's not... (laughs) You have to you have to teach a bar class later. So. I do. Yes, I am teaching. Which is bar. AKA the hardest class I think I've ever taken in my life, and I and it's not lifting weights at all. Like what? No, That's crazy. Yeah, Just isometric holds are the worst sometimes. Oh yeah. But also, when you finish a bar class, you feel like a million bucks. Oh yeah. I am dying to come to your class. You in Vegas always have a spot. <laughs> you are welcome anytime. <laughs> You're the best. Um, so before I ask you the final five to five questions, I want you to let the audience know where they can find you. Cause I know there's so much that you share on social media and on your website and you actually work with clients one-on-one. So if anybody mm-hmm. wanted to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah. So I am most active on Instagram. I'm at fueling.former.athletes. You can find me on my website, spotastrongnutrition.com. And it's the same for my email, spotta.strong.nutrition at gmail.com. Any of those ways. I think I'm probably the fastest to respond on Instagram. So feel free to send me, me a DM, right? <laughs> It's just so easy. It is. But yeah, I, I love connecting. Even if it's just to say, hey, you know, I love to connect with the community and learn about other people's stories and, and what they've experienced. Ah, oh, beautiful. You do such a good job speaking to your community too. I remember, I think I messaged you and you got back to me within minutes. I was like, okay, this is great timing. <laughs> but I'm the same way. When I get a DM, I'm like, you see it faster than a text message sometime. yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it, it's so true. Yeah, because we like to serve our people on Instagram a ton. So we're on it a lot. So yes. it makes total sense. Exactly. Yeah. What you're doing is truly changing the game when it comes to just knowing your body and knowing what it needs to perform at its Thank peak you. performance, whether it's in a game or outside of the game. Like, yeah. it's just beautiful stuff. So, those people that stuck with us to the end, I hope they realize how similar the way you think as an athlete is actually how you feel yourself post-athlete because we all have our big meetings. We all have our big, like my game days are podcast days. Like I love interviewing and I need to make sure I have energy the entire time. So kind of just realizing it's the same. It is, (laughs) it is, which is, you know, use the skills you create as an athlete to benefit you in life after sport. Cause there's so much huh. benefit to be had. And we have this advantage because of our experience as athletes. So let's use it. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. All right. You ready for these last final questions? Let's do it. That you have no idea what they are. No idea. First thing I just need to know, what is your favorite dessert? Ooh, creme brulee. <laughs> Ooh, good one. Yes. That's my sister's favorite dessert too. So good. Good one. What is the greatest lesson that your parents taught you about how to fuel your body? Ooh, that's a good question. My parents always encourage variety. And also you can't say you don't like it until you've tried it. So always Mm. at least trying something once before passing judgment on it. Good one. I love that one. (laughs) What is one thing that you would tell your younger self that you know now that you wish you would have known at an earlier age? Oh my gosh, this one's going to be deep, but just that like you are inherently worthy just because you are a human and that your worth doesn't come from your performance or your accomplishments or any of that. And that you will fall and that's okay. It's the fact that you get back up that counts. Mm, Beautiful. Shoot, do I even need to ask the final two questions? <laughs> that was a that was such a good answer. I love that. I do want to know though, what do you love most about being a registered dietitian? Oh my goodness. One that I get to talk about food all day long. <laughs> I think my absolute favorite thing is when a client has that breakthrough and they're like, Katie, I had jelly beans in the house for over a week and I didn't binge on them and just re giving, giving the power back to people and taking it away from food because food should not Mm. be that powerful. I I absolutely love that. Ooh, that's so great. Food should not be that powerful. Yeah. We are in charge. We are in charge. Yeah, we are. Ooh, so good. All right. Last and final question before I ask it, I just want to thank you one more time. This Mm -hmm. has been an absolute pleasure. I, I have a feeling that you'll be back on this podcast at some point. 
I would love talking to. about more specific things, but this was so much fun. And you're, you are, you are leaving the biggest impact. I swear as a former athlete, what you are posting, what you are inspiring people to do or try, it is seriously game changers. You taught me things about myself and I don't think I've ever shared this with you that I didn't even realize I, that it was a thing for me. And I, I shared it with you in private, but yeah. your content is so mind blowing because it's science and it's, it's just so good. <laughs> thank you. That really means a lot. And thank you so much for having me. I've, I've loved this conversation and I can't wait oh, to hear this final question. <laughs> I know final question. I really want to know what legacy do you want to leave with the work that you do? I want to change the narrative so that it's performance over appearance. I want athletes to be recognized for the way that they play the game and not the way that their body looks. And that is the legacy I'm hoping to leave. That's a good one. Ah, thanks so much for coming on, Katie. Yeah. This is a blast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ashley. Of course. Until next time. <laughs> See what I mean? I learned today that all food is good food. I used to have shame around eating a ton of cheesecake when I'm with my family or at Thanksgiving dinner when I'm eating a ton of food, realizing that, hey, Food is energy, and yes, I have a food coma after Thanksgiving, but there's nothing to have shame around it. Food brings me joy, and there's nothing to be ashamed about. Knowledge is power when it comes to food consumption. I learned this tremendously in this conversation. The more knowledge we have, the better decisions we can make. Knowing why you're eating it and what it's going to do to help you physically and mentally was one of the biggest takeaways that I took from this conversation. I hope this conversation gave you a more healthy relationship with food. I know it did for me. You can find Katie at spottestrongnutrition.com and you can find it in the show notes to keep following Katie and how to learn more about food freedom and intuitive eating. Like I said from the beginning, I'm going to be sharing this with so many of my old teammates and friends because I know the extreme value in conversations like this one. If you learned something mind-blowing like I did about 45 times today, do me a massive favor and share this with one friend you know can benefit from it too. There is so much power in sharing knowledge with people you love. All right, thanks for listening to yet another episode of When the Cleats Come Off, and I can't wait for you to hear what we're going to bring you next week. All right, friends, stay awkward and keep smiling. See you later.